We're going to continue our praise of God as we hear God's word now. Just turn to the person next to you and would you ask them this question? We're coming into spring. Ask them if they're planning to plant anything in their garden this springtime. Off you go. Okay, wonderful. Now, hopefully you got to know the person next to you a little bit better. Um, and whether they like plants or not. I think if, if obviously they don't like plants, they won't be planting anything this springtime. But um, it's a time of spring. Isn't it wonderful? I love this time of year. Isn't it wonderful to see new things growing about us? And wasn't it a lovely warm day yesterday? Did you all get, manage to get out and enjoy the weather? Wasn't it lovely? And isn't that nice when the spring is in the air and you just feel that warmth of the sun on you? It's really nice and refreshing. Just as refreshing as it is, being here and enjoying God's presence, isn't it wonderful to worship the King of Kings, the glorious God, and to worship him this morning? I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than here, worshipping the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is our Savior, and it's wonderful that he has got so many good things for each one of us. Just, even this, just as we ended that worship, just God has got so much more for us. And it's just exciting to think us as a family together of what those things look like and how they might be outworked in the time to come. Now we're looking this morning in Corinthians. We're going to be looking at a passage together in Corinthians. And it's a one-off preach. We're looking at, I've entitled it, Generous Giving, as we've got a gift day. And so really just to inspire us all, including myself, in how we give to God and how we um, bless him as he has blessed us so much. Um, And then we're going to be returning back, looking at Acts. We're going to continuing our series um, that we started in the autumn on Acts. But so today we're looking at generous giving. And the passage in Corinthians um, that you might know, um, it's entitled in my NIV Bible, Sowing Generously. So we're going to look a little bit today as what God calls each one of us to and how we might be generous givers. So I'm going to start from verse 6. Remember this, Paul's opening words of this verse. Remember this. It must be very important that Paul wants us to remember it. Let's see what he wants us to remember. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread For food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. 
You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Praise God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, this wonderful passage comes at a point when Paul is encouraging and exhorting the Corinthian church here to remember the church in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 and 9 is a dialogue, really, where Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to give the generous gift that they've already said they're going to give. The Jerusalem church is a church that, you can imagine, is very close to Paul's heart. He lived a lot of his time in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was that place where God poured out, poured out, God poured out his Holy Spirit. The Jerusalem church, as well, was surprisingly poor. And it was Paul's desire... That these churches, these Gentile churches, from Ephesus to Macedonia to here in Corinth, that these churches should help and remember the church in Jerusalem. So Paul is keen for these churches, these new churches, these church plants that he has planted with his own hand to remember the church in Jerusalem. Now, this Corinthian church has actually been very good at giving. In chapter 8, in verse 10, we see that the previous year, the Corinthian church was the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So the Corinthian church was actually pretty good at giving. But I still think that Paul wanted the Corinthian church here to grasp something fresh and something new about the importance of giving. Why they should follow through on their generous offer that we see at the beginning of chapter 9. And in return, the Corinthian church will understand something deeper of the wonderful truths of the gospel. And I believe that there's something of that that God has for us today, each one of us. I read this week that the word of God is to the kingdom of God what a seed is to a harvest. And my encouragement to each one of us this morning is to allow the word of God to penetrate our hearts. That we would see the kingdom of God grow like planting a seed is to seeing a harvest. And just before I unpack this passage, I just want to pray for that for each one of us. 
Father God, thank you for your word. And I just pray that your word this morning will sow those seeds into our hearts of the thing that you want to speak to us about this morning. That we will understand how the word can penetrate our hearts like a sharp sword and how we can understand how valuable and precious we are in your eyes. How much, Lord Jesus, you are for us. How we were hearing this morning in how much you have for us and how much we've received in you. That your love is so vast. As we heard last week, how deep, how wide, how high your love is for us. I pray, Lord, that your kingdom come first in our hearts as we hear your word this morning. Plant seeds in us as we've been hearing that we'll be radically transformed to be the people you've called us to be through your word this morning. Amen. So I want to start with a simple and direct question. Why do we give? Why do we give to to anything, to anybody? What motivated this this Corinthian church to give to the Jerusalem church? Well, firstly... As we see in this passage, there was a need. The church in Jerusalem needed support. Secondly, Paul would have ensured that the Corinthian church would have been taught that giving was very important. In fact, many of us give because we've possibly been taught from a a very young age. It's a principle that our parents probably taught us. You know, Abby can tell a, a story Um, of her parents taught her to give her pocket money to some of it to God. 10%, in fact, of her pocket money. She used to get 10p pocket money, which in those days I'm sure was a lot of money. And she gave 1p of that to God. And that was quite a significant lesson she learned. And because of it, she does that to this day. It's more than a penny, but she still gives 10% at least to God. Our own children... We give them 50p pocket money, inflation. (laughs) And we ask them to give 10%. And that's non-negotiable. They give 5p at least to God. And I feel we're teaching them a principle about giving to God of what we receive. Now, we try and give them a choice of what they give. But we say at least 5p. Of that 50p. At times, in fact, even this week, they gave 10p. They gave 20% of the money they received to God. Now, I know they're only children. 20% of our income would feel enormous for us. But for my children, they don't quite have possibly the grasp of money that we do. Or do they treasure it more, or do, they, do we treasure it more than what our children do? There was one time Noah gave all of it to God because of that wonderful, that it doesn't become such a, a big thing to him at the moment because he's still a child. But what motivates him to give that bit extra? And what motivates each one of us to giving? If you're a new Christian here today, 
or not even a Christian. The concept of regular giving money away, I'm sure would not be that familiar to you. You know, you may give to um, good causes. There's children in need on the TV. There's Red Nose Day coming up. And these are things that we give to. But you may sponsor a friend who's doing a race. You know, giving to charity is a good and worthy cause. But giving away 10% of my income? You know, why would you give that much away? It doesn't really make sense. Now, for me, there's only one motivating reason why you would give. And it's very much comes out in this passage, and it's this. We give out of the knowledge and understanding of what we have received. You know, each one of us, in knowing Christ, has received so much. Do you, have you got how much you've received. You know, we've received everything we could ever want. Everything in knowing Jesus. You know, that for me is the motivation. That is the motivation that Jesus is enough, that knowing Jesus is enough for me to want to give to other things, in fact, what God's doing, that I'd want to give to what God is doing in a community, or what God is doing in a church. Knowing Jesus is enough, a motivation for me. That's why we come here this morning. That's why we sing praises to him. That's why we worship him, because he's given us himself. He's given us everything. He is enough. God's given each one of us keys to the kingdom. Keys to a heavenly treasure chest. He's given us those keys. In knowing Christ, we have those keys. He's unlocked the gates of hell. We can go marching in because we've got Christ in our hearts. We can see people set free from sickness because Christ is in us. He's given us those keys. He's given us himself that we can see people set free, that we can see lives changed and people finding hope, people finding peace and joy because of Christ. That's our motivation. When we ask Jesus for anything, he says he'll give it to us. He's a loving saviour. And we have a loving father. We have an eternal hope. And Paul says here that each man should give what he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. We don't give out of compulsion because we know how much we've received. It's a joy. We don't give reluctantly because Christ 
has revealed that in our desperate, lonely, broken and distant and rebellious hearts, he made a way for us to know friendship with God, companionship, healing, closeness and the gift of repentance. You know, it's a gift to be able to say, Christ, I put you first in this area of my life. Because that brings freedom and joy. The more we put Christ in the center of our hearts, the more we find freedom and joy in life. You know, and I'm speaking as one standing here from the wonderful experience of that and testimony of that. Our Father in heaven, in his great love for us, sent his one and only Son to die on a cross for me and for you. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you might think God might have blown it. You know, if you've got children, you know how precious your son or daughter is. So why would God send his son? I mean, that doesn't make sense. You know, why would he send him to die? You know, Jesus only has... One, only had one life, and look what happened to him. He died on the cross. It can't be great, surely. It's not great, Dad. Well, I'm here to tell you that that was in God's plan. Well, you might think then, well, he's not a very good dad then, is he? He's pretty mean. He's pretty awful. And you know, the awesome thing about it is that his son had a choice. And actually, his son was there and said, you know, he did it voluntarily. He went to the cross voluntarily. And why did he do it? Why did he choose to go of his own free will? He did it because he loves each one of us. Jesus went and died on the cross because like his father in heaven, who had a plan from the beginning of time, that the relationship he wanted with you and with me was so important that he would give his life to get that back. That he would go to the cross for you and me to get that relationship back because he loves you so much. Jesus loves you so much that he would do that for you and he would do that for me. That is why he did it. That was part of God's plan, plan of redemption that enables each one of us to come like we did this morning into that holy place, into his throne room, because Jesus wanted that for each one of us. And that's why we give. We give out of the knowledge and understanding that we have received eternal life through Jesus. That's the truth. That God didn't spare anything. He didn't even spare his own son. That he gave him up so that each one of us can know him. Isn't that wonderful? That is a wonderful truth of the gospel. We, as Michaela was saying, I mean she's taken some of my words out of the end of the uh, worship. But we've received an inheritance in Christ. 
as Paul says at the end of this passage, we've received an indescribable gift. What does indescribable mean? It's indescribable. It goes beyond words, the gift that we received. And that is our motivation. That is our motivation as we give. So God gave us his son. And because he gave us so much, it motivates us to give back to him. And the way he wants us to do that is by giving to what he's doing in the local church. But we give as much as our hearts are able. And I'm hoping the next slide might come up. God is not so much interested in amounts, but rather our hearts. There we are. We give as much as we allow our hearts to be impacted by the love of God. I don't know about you, but this morning again, I was impacted by the love of God. It just motivates me to want to give him praise and worship. God is interested in our hearts. As Paul, as we read here, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give. The reason God is interested in our hearts, because he knows that's where our treasure lies. If we treasure anything other than Jesus, we will find that those are the things where we invest our finances. Those are the things where we will invest our finances. Where are your treasures today? Where are your treasures today? I was listening to the radio this morning, and I fancied a bit of um, sort of Radio 2 service on the radio. And it's, there's some wonderful gems that come out of those services. And, and it was wonderful because it reminded me of my childhood where we would sing lots of hymns declaring the truth of who God is. And the way they do it is they have a, a hymn and then they sort of have a snippet of truth. And the truth that was coming across on the radio this morning was about how we measure things, how we measure what we do in life, and how we measure success. And they talked about the um, parable of Nicodemus, who was up a tree. And he came, Zacchaeus, sorry, Zacchaeus came out of the tree, and he was a tax collector. And he had all the wealth in the world. He had nothing to worry about in terms of wealth. But when he discovers Jesus, what does he do with it? He gives it away. But he doesn't just give some of it away. I think he gives away, as from, remember rightly, 10 times back to the people he'd taken from in terms of collecting taxes. He had grasped something of the truth of Jesus impacting his life and his heart. And his treasure was no longer in his wealth, but his treasure was in Jesus. But Paul encourages everyone to give what they decided in their hearts to give. 
Paul never puts pressure on the Corinthian church to give. In fact, he's releasing them to not feel any compulsion whatsoever. But he does this. He encourages them to think not from their heads, but from their hearts. Paul's encouragement is for us to give from our hearts. My question to you this morning is where do you make most of your decisions? Now, I'm sure as I've got older and wiser, I'm sure I make more decisions from my head than I do my heart. And the challenge, I think, for all of us is, you know, where do we make those decisions? Because I think God speaks to our heart, and that can stir us to do things which we might normally, not normally do. It doesn't seem right to give that to that particular person or that particular thing. It doesn't seem normal. Why would I want to do that? And then in this passage... Paul goes on to use an agricultural analogy of sowing and reaping. Agriculture was really big in Paul's day, as you can imagine. No cars, no industry as such. Everyone in the community would have had some connection with farming in some way or other. So this analogy was one that everybody understood. It's a principle that if you take one corn and put it in the ground... It will produce not one, but more ears of corn. Now, I'm just going to do a quick illustration to illustrate this point. Here I have my popping corn. And this comes, I mean, if you, tr- if you do pop sort of popcorn, you put or a handful in and it comes massive. You sit for like, gosh, I've made too much. But... This passage talks about us to sow generously. If we do, we reap generously. So if we're sowing sparingly, we might put... They're very small, these corns. But we might put one here. This is a bit like how I put my uh, carrot seeds in. Um, You might put one here. And you might put one here. Okay, so we're sowing sparingly. And my understanding of sowing generously is kind of just throwing it amongst you all, but uh, don't want to land your head. But you might, I don't know, those of you that sow vegetables, you might make yourself a nice little uh, furrow um, in, in, the, in the ground. And then you would sort of sprinkle in the ground like so. I think I need a bit more, you see. I didn't even have enough in my hand to sow generously on the floor of Highfield Hall. See, look, some go over the path and over the... Anyway, that's for another time. Um, so here we are. We're sowing generously. There we go. That's sowing generously. Now, if you look on that floor, there's four seeds over here. Probably about, what would you say, 25, 30 there. Okay? Sowing generously, some of the seeds go all over the place. But we get a nice line of seeds that can grow if they're watered and fed. Now, the wonderful thing about sowing, particularly corn, is the end result is that just from one seed, you can get two of these. 
Okay, so over here, the maximum we're going to get, if these seeds don't die because they run out of water or they get eaten, the maximum we're going to get is four times two, eight. <laughs> Sorry, going back to my maths teaching days. Yeah, no, not, not a hard one for you. I'll give you a quadratic next time. Um, but over here, we got, as I say, about 20 or 30 seeds. Okay, now I've worked out that one of these alone. Roughly how many seeds do you think? How many corns do you think are on there? 200. See, it's surprising. You say 200, but there's actually about 490 seeds on one stalk, one ear of, if you like, of corn. So from just here, if they don't die, the maximum we're going to get is eight of these Whereas over here, we'll have, say, 20 times 2, 80. And if each one of those is about 500, two of these per stalk, that's 1,000, let's say. So we're roughly getting 20 times 1,000, 20,000 seeds from sowing generously. So you can see the principle of sowing generously and reaping generously is actually true from this illustration. There we are. Round of applause. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't ask a round of applause. <laughs> but there we go. So, I don't know, it's, it's a biblical principle of sowing and reaping is so what God is calling each one of us to. It's far greater, it's far more powerful than we can ever imagine. It has such an impact on the people and the community around us. Judas Smith said this. He said, with investing, you give because you want to make money. With sowing, you give because you want to reach more people. I think a principle that we outlive our lives can be, and it's not a wrong principle, it's we earn our money, we receive money, we save it, we spend it, we might invest it, and we might give some away. That is a good principle of good financial management. But it's not a good principle for sowing and to giving and to blessing and to seeing God's kingdom come on this earth. There is a far greater principle, and that is the principle of sowing and reaping. It starts with one seed. It starts with one thing that leads to more seed, which can lead to a great harvest. Here at River Church, we want to be a people that reach more people with the good news, don't we? We want to see people hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is alive. Because he is. Jesus can make a difference to people's lives. He makes a difference to our lives. Paul says in this passage that men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. We want to be people that sow into the kingdom of God. The Bible teaches us, as we sow, God will bless. You know, it's God's responsibility to bless that seed. It's our responsibility to sow it. 
When you come today with your gift, think not what you are investing, but think of what you're sowing into God's kingdom. The more you sow, the more God's kingdom will come. And I think the challenge for all of us is to grow in the grace of sowing. I think we've all could grow in the grace of sowing and giving to all that God wants us to do through us here. Whether you have a little or whether you have a lot, God invites us to sow generously and to see just what he can do. Now, I just want to finish, if I may, with a story. And this story is from... um, Somebody I have a lot of admiration for. He's not alive anymore. He's dead now. But he's a man who went to China to take the gospel to the Chinese. And this was long before China was open. And he was born in 1832. And his name is Hudson Taylor. And this is a man who I believe learned the discipline of sowing. So he... um, he learned this before, um, before, uh, as I say, before he went to China. And he was working for a doctor. And his employer had requested for him to let him know when his salary was due. But Hudson Taylor, as he was, was keen to entrust his wages to God and not tell him. But on one occasion, his salary was due, but no allusion had been made to it. So he found himself with only half a crown in his pocket. John, you might know how much that's worth now. (laughs) There we are. Thank you. And near this juncture, he was asked by a poor man to go and pray with his wife who was dying. And he went and found this squalid room in which four or five half-starved children and their mum were lying on a pallet with a three-day-old baby crying at her breast. And the claimant need of this poor woman and his own limited circumstances led to a spiritual conflict such as he had never had or experienced before. And he would say he possibly never did since. He tried to pray, but he couldn't. He felt it would be mocking God to ask for his aid while he withheld his half crown. And yet, this was all he had. He had, um, had it been the two shillings and sixpence that his wage was, he could have given part of that. But it wasn't. It was his half crown. So his gifts must be all or nothing. In vain, he tried to speak words of comfort until he felt a hypocrite himself, since he couldn't trust God with an empty pocket. So filled with distress, he rose from his knees, only to have the man say to him, if you can help us, for God's sake, do. And at that moment, the Lord's words, give to him that asketh of thee. And at that moment, flashed through his mind, he thrust his hand In his pocket, drew out the last and only coin and gave it to the man. The struggle had been keen and crucial, but joy now flooded into his soul. 
Home he went that night with a heart as light as his pocket, but with the dark, deserted streets resounding with his praise. Before retiring to rest, he asked the Lord that the loan might be a short one, for otherwise he would have no dinner the next day. And the morning came, and with it the postman, who delivered a letter containing half a sovereign and a pair of gloves. Now, God answered his prayer. God doesn't always answer that quickly. I think in those days, letters came more frequent. But there's a man of faith that even Hudson Taylor, who saw many come to faith, struggled with giving all that he had in his pocket. And my encouragement to you and to me is that the more we sow generously, the more we will see God blessing the things and the community around us. So as we finish, we give from the grace that God has given to each one of us. God had given the grace to the Corinthian church that they were generous givers. A definition of grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. We have received God's grace. We give out of the understanding that we, each of us, has received God's grace, God's favor, God's riches at Christ's expense. The people of God in the Old Testament held the principle of tithing, but they lived by the law. The law stipulated that they give their best to God, that they give 10% of their increase, whether livestock or crops. But the New Testament, it goes further. It goes deeper. It calls us to enter into the promises of this new covenant that in giving, we would be the ones that are blessed. It's talked about in the book of Acts. Jesus said it. That it's more blessed to give than to receive. We have received grace beyond measure. God's lavish grace, great riches in him that we might come and sow into God's kingdom and purposes, that more people may know the good news of the gospel. Amen? Amen. We want more people to experience and know the love of God through Christ. And I just want to end with this quote from Amy Carmichael. You may know it. You can give without loving but you can't love without giving. God loves us to give cheerfully. God loves us to give what we have decided in our heart to give. So my encouragement to you today is come and give your gift joyfully with a happy heart, knowing that Christ died for you, that he is your saviour. He has redeemed you. And he has given us all things. Hallelujah. Amen. Wonderful.